welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMALOTN. This week, we're going over UFC Vegas 49, headlined by a lightweight scrap between Islam Mahachev and short notice Bobby Green. Yes, Bobby Green is stepping in on short notice here just less than a month after he was able to go out there or actually less than two weeks after he went out there and defeated Nazrat Hackprast via decision, put on a, light, a performance of a lifetime that night. His boxing looked oh so crisp. Now, But now he's going up against a guy who's going to be looking to get his butt on the ground and try to grind him out or find a finish from on top in Islam Mahachev. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing how this fight goes down. A couple other intriguing spots sprinkled out throughout the card, but for the most part i'm just mainly looking forward to this main event all right before we get into the rest of the episode let's get over or go over the the betting recap for ufc vegas 48 which was uh, a slight losing event on your boys uh end here uh didn't have a lock of the night play as the two spots that i was gonna pull the trigger on for the lock of the night play that something in the back of my head was just being like let's let's try to keep our risk management as much in mind for the these spots because they look good pre-fight but they could also obviously be one of those spots that could whiff as well so first and foremost the under two and a half in the jesse Strait and chad and helliger fight brutal beat there as uh, and helliger finally lets his hands go a minute after the uh the the under two and a half whiffs and he eventually finds that knockout of jesse Strader. it seemed like that knockout was available at any moment but he just seemed a little bit too lackadaisical in the cage at times letting the fight just pass him by luckily enough he was able to get that knockout victory for himself unluckily for us we rip up our under two and a half tickets secondly was having the under two and a half in the park reporter and alan baudot fight parlayed with dalkis um i thought that was a, a guaranteed win honestly but it seems like alan baudot has been uh, uh, fooling us over the last couple of fights that he has some actual decent durability and he really made parker porter work for those takedowns that he was trying to get uh say what you want about baudot the guy was a big dude in the cage there right it was very difficult for porter to get the fight to the ground where a lot of people thought he would have success and especially being able to pull off a submission that night but that just did not happen that fight goes the full 15 minutes and uh, yeah that that leg, as well as the under two and a half in the straight and Allegra fight, were going to be my lock of the night plays. One of those was going to be my lock of the night play. But I'm glad I listened to the voice in the back of my head and uh, did not go as deep as I should have uh, or would have, I should say. Uh, so we kind of minimized the loss on that. Luckily, the dog of the night play comes through with Stephanie Egger, uh, one unit at plus 170. Um, wish I went deeper in that as well, but that's obviously hindsight is 2020. Um, you know, People always uh, say they want to wish they went deeper, especially on an underdog when they end up hitting. But uh, I was happy to at least get that 1.7 units off of a dominant victory from Stephanie Eger. Wish I sprinkled a submission prop, which is something that I was kind of touting to a lot of guys at plus 800. Thought it was a damn good spot. And uh, luckily enough, Stephanie Eger was able to wrap it up and make that pretty much a sweat-free win for us. Uh, all, uh, I also sorry, had a weekend parlay, 0.25 units at plus 500. Uh, and it pretty much all hit on PFL, UFC, but then on Bellator, on the main event, we whiff on Naaman Gracie as he goes out there and just gets touched up by Logan Strolley over 25 minutes and then eventually uh, loses that fight. So minus 0.25 units there. All in all, uh, minus 2.05 units on the weekend. Uh, small loss, um, but that's one in four on events now in the year, and that's just not acceptable at all. Absolutely. I can't, I just can't 
I can't live more. Okay, I'm taking it with a stretch by saying I can't live with myself with that, but it's very uh, demoralizing to see that on my record, especially to start off 2022. I feel like I had some good reads, some good spots, but I was just a little bit too overzealous on certain spots, and I need to tighten that up. One thing that I kind of want to work on moving forward is focusing a little bit more on the money lines rather than these over unders, totals, or the fight doesn't go to decision. I feel like my money line spots have been pretty decent, uh, not to mention going 10 and two on predictions on this past card if i had focused a little bit more on money lines i likely would have ended up with in the green for that night and that's what i'm hoping i can do moving forward here as well is focus on the money lines see where i see a discrepancy or even a spot where i'm like this should be an easy win even if the line is at minus 200 or so if i think that it's going to be an easy win uh i should just pull the trigger let it go you know don't get cute with it don't bother parlaying too much or getting too greedy on that that side of things and let's just try to get clean dubs clean wins and clean profit and that's the goal for uh ufc vegas 49 I've already had uh, my Dog of the Night play posted on the Patreon. Um, I'm still looking to play my Lock of the Night play, waiting to see where the line goes. There has been line movement on the specific play, but I think that it's going to continue to dip. So I'm just going to wait and bide my time. That will obviously all be posted on the Patreon. Um, and the picks will be free on Friday for the public. But obviously the advantage of the Patreon is they get the picks a little bit early. But not just that. There's a Best Bets and Props article where I go over every single fight and give you my favorite bet and prop from that fight, as well as a little bit of live betting advice that you guys should have in mind going into every single fight, as well as a, a prize picks tips article, uh, my great Discord community, uh, pay-per-view parlay for the patrons where I give back to the patrons as well. Uh, a ton of content on the Patreon. It's only five bucks a month and you get a lot of early access to a lot of these things compared to what the public is getting. So that's the best way to support your boy if you... So fuck with your boy that's the way to do it link is in the description below five bucks a month not too much to ask again no no long-term commitments either so if you are not impressed with what you see or if you're not happy with what you're getting after a week or so you can hit that cancel you'll still have the subscription for the remainder of the month but um it, it's no long-term commitments there are no cancellation fees nothing in and out however you want whenever you want so make sure you guys go check that out appreciate everybody that's already signed up secondly shout out to my guys over at cool bet make sure you guys check out cool bet use promo code mmalotn2 and they'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks uh you can parlay props sometimes they're a little bit slow with line movement as well so you can take advantage of that but they've been a great bookie to me they'll be a great bookie to you i promise that and uh yeah make sure you guys go check them out once again promo code mmalotn2 and they'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks all right that's pretty much a wrap on the intro here appreciate everybody checking it out and uh yeah let's get into the breakdowns and i'll see you guys on the flip side for the outro Carlos Hernandez versus Victor Altamoreno. Uh, we got minus 125 on Hernandez and plus 105 the return on Victor Altamoreno. Now, a very interesting fight here, and this is something that I don't like that the UFC does, and that's either put tough guys against tough guys, and I mean Ultimate Fighter against Ultimate Fighter guys, especially when they're fresh off the season, or Contender Series guys against Contender Series guys, because Ultimately, it's just a contender series fight at that point, right? Let's put them up against guys that actually even have one fight inside the UFC so we can say they're actually going up against another, you know, ultimate or sorry, another UFC fighter, not another guy that's making his debut. So the matchmaking here 
boggles my mind but either way we got to break it down for you guys now both of these guys have that one flaw in both of their games that kind of makes it difficult to back either guy with supreme confidence on the ultima reno side you got you know the takedown defense seems to be a little bit suspect but luckily for him he has great guard retention he does a good job in terms of creating scrambles eventually getting back to his feet and then letting his taekwondo go which is you know a lot of kick heavy uh games not to mention uh likes to crash the pocket every now and then with a one two uh very um fun to watch especially when the fight is in the striking range but that takedown defense leaves a lot to be desired especially when it looks like it, it's not the hardest to get him to the ground either carlos hernandez on the other side his flaw is the fact that he just accepts the back foot a little bit too much but i've seen decent enough wrestling to believe that if he needs to he can take this fight to the ground and that could ultimately be the deciding factor in a fight that i see going 15 minutes Altamarino is quite active off of his back, like I said, right? Throws up submissions, uh, retains guard well, and then creates scrambles to get back to the feet. But then even on the feet, I think that Carlos Hernandez is good enough off of his back foot because it seems like he almost pulls his opponents into his backward movement and then let's go on a combination or some strikes. The guy is a fluid striker and I'm very much impressed by what I see there. And then I, which is why I ultimately lean with him in this fight ever so slightly, like 55-45, I lean on the Hernandez side, as I do think that he can land those takedowns to bail him out of bad spots if he ever finds him there. Both of their contender series fights were split decision wins. Uh, Altamirano also has another split decision win on his record, go, going to show that, uh, you know, he has a very, uh, a style that is just too close to his opponents no matter who he's fighting and I feel like Carlos Hernandez could just have that edge just by landing the takedowns and possibly getting some top control it's gonna take a guy like Jared Brooks who is the only uh, loss on Victor Altamirano's record to really control Altamirano on the ground and have that success from on top Hernandez there's just not enough tape available on him to say that he can do it with ultimate trust which is why i'm ultimately not going to be taking a shot on this fight like the odds are great right both guys roughly along that pick em line and if that's the case then obviously yeah i'd lean with the guy in carlos hernandez but i need to see more against legit competition uh to say that he can actually go out and do that and again even alta moreno he could likely win uh the these striking exchanges just by a smidge but those takedowns are what ultimately i'm i'm concerned about and and hernandez possibly having that top control time and being effective off of his uh his striking as well right the, the something that altamirano had over the majority of his opponents was that he's a much better striker than those guys so he's able to just have fun on the feet throw his kicks and do what he needs to do there but i feel like he's going to meet some s solid resistance here from hernandez even with hernandez on his back foot and then like i said the, the ace in the pocket for Hernandez here is the potential for takedowns and swaying the judges his way for landing those takedowns and maybe getting some control time and maybe having a, a stalemate of a striking battle but having those takedowns as the, the deciding factor in each of those rounds so uh, I lean with Carlos Hernandez I feel like this is a sit back and watch fight for both guys both guys still need to prove a little bit to me uh, and I feel like they're well matched here and the odds obviously reflect that but I am going to lean with Carlos Hernandez and uh you know take his back foot style on the chin a little bit here just so that i could potentially see him go out there land some takedowns and get some control time from on top both guys are promising but this fight should tell us a lot about both guys as well so i'm going to go carlos hernandez and i'm going to take him to win this fight via decision
Ramiz Brahimai versus Michael Gilmore. We got minus 365 on the short notice Ramiz Brahimai and plus 280 the return on Michael Gilmore. Uh, Ramiz coming off a pretty disappointing loss last time around in January where Cormagy was able to give him a vet lesson that night. Getting almost 11 minutes of control time against Brahimai who was just not able to put anything together that night. Now he steps in on short notice against Michael Gilmore who gave up a third round submission to Andre Petrovsky last time around. And good God, this guy's tape does not look that good when you're running it. Um, how he's in the UFC, I think it's mainly because he did uh, a favor to the UFC to jump in on short notice in the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, but I just don't think he's going to have the chops here to uh, to beat guys like the Ramiz Brahimais or even Andre Petrovsky who he fought last time around. Uh, I think Brahimai is, you know, I've seen some slander of him on the timelines, I'll say that. Um, and I think it's a lot to do with the fact that he wasn't able to get his hand raised over uh, Court McGee. But I think people just continuously underrate Court McGee, even at this time in his career. Stylistically speaking, it was a great matchup for him. Never been submitted before, and I don't think that Ramiz was going to get anywhere near uh, close to doing that either. And that's exactly what happened in the fight. McGee just gave him a vet lesson. But styles make fights. Every fight is a different variable, or sorry, has two different variables, and it comes out with a different result every single time. And I think that we're going to see that play out here with Ramiz absolutely living up to that minus 365 price tag. I think he gets this fight to the ground with relative ease, and I think from there, he should be able to find a submission over Michael Gilmore, who's just going to struggle to keep him off him. And then I think that Ramiz, you know, he's not as power heavy from on top like a guy like Petrovsky was, and that's kind of what he was hoping to, to do to Gilmore. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't work out for him until the third round. But with Ramiz, he's a little bit more finesse with his jiu-jitsu, and I think he'll be able to find himself into an advantageous position, whether it's finding that full mount or eventually getting the back of Michael Gilmore and eventually finding that choke. If Gilbert Urbina is submitting Michael Gilmore, more than likely Ramiz Bragimai is going to be able to do the same. Last thing I'll say about this, Gilmore will be fighting down at 170 pounds, uh, which he has done in the past as well, but I just don't think it's going to be enough to go up against a guy Ramiz who's just nasty on the ground. Uh, so the ways that I'd be looking to play it is pretty much either the under two and a half or Ramiz uh, inside the distance, which I think hangs around minus 125. I'd rather take that than the minus 365 on Brahimai, if I'm being honest, but I think either way Brahimai gets this done with relative ease. So I'm going to go Ramiz Brahimai, and I'm going to call it as a first round submission. Jonathan Martinez versus Alejandro Perez. We got minus 210 on Martinez and plus 175 the return on Alejandro Perez. Now, the last time we saw Perez inside the cage, October of last year, that was actually uh, his return after two years off. Uh, and he was able to get his hand raised after such a lengthy layoff uh, by defeating Johnny Eduardo in the second round via a beautiful modified armbar. Uh, actually, something that I was able to rock, wrap up uh, with his legs in that crucifix position. Alejandro Perez has always been a very good all-around fighter, right? Um, he has good striking, uh, decent grappling when he needs to go there, great durability, and great cardio as well. It's not often that you see him really get rocked and hurt by strikes. The only time I think we've seen him with his lights out in recent memory was against Song Yudong, who obviously hits like a Mack truck, so we shouldn't take too much away from that. But even on his side of things, right, he's not a big power puncher or somebody that gets fighters out of there. The, mo the last 
time I think outside of the Johnny Eduardo fight uh, was the Matthew Lopez fight about four years ago where uh, he was able to survive early and we kind of know now which is why Matthew Lopez is no longer in the UFC the guy has a horrible gas tank issue and Perez was able to sustain the early uh, onslaught and then was able to get him out of there in the second round uh, here against Jonathan Martinez Martinez obviously a great striker in his own right uses his length very well and is able to kind of keep fighters on the outside where he's able to do his best work Jonathan Martinez last time around we actually saw him get knocked out by Davy Grant or sorry sorry uh, he got knocked out two fights ago by Davy Grant in a fight that he was having tremendous success in Unfortunately, Davy Grant can hit like a Mack truck in his own right, and he was able to find that chin of Jonathan Martinez and knocked him out there. I believe that was the only knockout loss on Jonathan Martinez's record, and for some reason, a lot of people think that he has some sort of durability and chin issue now. Uh, obviously, it's something you need to keep in mind, but I don't think it's something that should keep you away from betting him, especially in the spot where I think he has a solid advantage and should have the advantage in terms of keeping this fight in his realm, which is that kickboxing range. Last time around, we saw him come in as a slight underdog against UFC newcomer Zviad Lazishvili, uh, and if I'm not mistaken, Lazishvili came in and on short notice there. And just because he was undefeated and a Georgian, there's a ton of love on him uh, to be able to get the win. But luckily, myself and plenty of other sharp guys were able to see that Martinez was the value side there. And it was more than likely going to be able to deal with that grapple-heavy approach from uh, Zviad. And he did. You know, there weren't many takedowns given up there. And he was able to keep the fight in the striking range where he was able to pick up or pick apart Zviad from the outside just a picture perfect performance from Martinez that night I think he can replicate that here against Perez who will obviously have uh, more resistance than what Zviad was putting up there but I think he's going to struggle in terms of getting his striking game going when Perez does get his best work done he's just a little bit too flat-footed right we saw this weird like head movement style from him in his last fight against Johnny Eduardo with a very wide base for his stance uh, and we saw Eduardo capitalize on that by really um, beating up that lead leg of Perez Unfortunately, Johnny Eduardo, 42 years old, uh, definitely did not have his faculties about him the way that Jonathan Martinez is going to. And I think that we'll see Martinez capitalize on those uh, spots even more than what Johnny Eduardo was able to do and stay safe while doing so. If Perez wants to take this fight to the ground, he only has a 23% uh, accuracy rate with his takedowns. And then on the flip side with Jonathan Martinez, he has a 72% uh, takedown defense rate, which should ha allow him to keep this fight standing, which is where he's more than likely going to want to keep it. I, I like Martinez here. Uh, minus 210 is roughly accurate in terms of where I think the odds should be. Um, and I think we should see him go out there and just do work. Uh, you know, stay on the outside, kick the lead leg, uh, use the teep to kind of keep him on the outside, use the hands when he needs to. But for the most part, keep this fight in the kickboxing range. And I think Perez, there are going to be moments of him crashing forward and looking to close that distance and really start to land his hands on Martinez. And he will be successful in doing so. I just don't think it's going to be often enough for the judges to actually see the fight in his favor. So my official prediction here, Perez being quite durable. I'd be surprised if Martinez actually gets him out of there. So my official prediction is going to be Jonathan Martinez via decision. Jin Yu Fry versus Hannah Goldie. 
We got minus 180 on Fry and plus 155 the return on Hannah Goldie. Now, last time around, Hannah Goldie came through and saved her UFC career as she was able to pull off an armbar victory against Emily Whitmire, but that was not without being taken down two times within that two to three minute span of that fight actually happening. It seemed that Hannah Goldie was very persistent in trying to get the fight to the ground, and she was really muscling her positions up against the cage, trying to get Emily down. But uh, unfortunately, she was a little bit too aggressive, a little bit too desperate, and that's where we saw Emily impose some beautiful throws that uh, was kind of just using Hannah Goldie's momentum against her, and then eventually uh, putting her on the butt and then getting on top. But luckily, for Hannah Goldie, uh, she just needed that one opportunity for Emily Whitmar to be slightly lazy and not mind her P's and Q's, and she ended up giving her arm, which resulted in the arm bar victory for Hannah Goldie that night. But that was on the back end of uh, two pretty unfortunate losses for Hannah Goldie inside the UFC, where you know it seemed like a decent fight, it seemed the type of fight she wanted, which was striking and trying to outpoint her opponents. But her opponents were always able to get the better of her, as they seemed to be the slightly cre cleaner and crisper strikers uh, and landing the more devastating blows, which ultimately uh, you know got the judges to favor the fight uh, in her opponent's uh, side. But I still feel like Hannah Goldie has some things that she can present to some women that will cause them issues. Uh, I, I'm not 100% sold that she'll be able to employ them here against Jinyu Fry, though. Uh, Fry is, you know, she's getting up there in age, if I'm not mistaken. She's closer to that 36 years old uh, range now. But she's a veteran. She's been in there with some of the best women at the lower weight classes. She's been an Invicta champion in the past. Uh, and I feel like she ha has the skill set to impose on Hannah Goldie that could cause him some trouble. One could be the, the grapple-heavy approach. That's something we've seen Hannah kind of struggle with in the past, but it seems like she's really trying to refine her jiu-jitsu, especially with working with Jillian Robertson a lot over the last year or so. Uh, and then on the flip side, I do think that Jinyu Fry could land the more impactful shots, uh, especially if Goldie continues to just, you know, lackadaisically try to uh, enter, get her strikes off, and then get out. Uh, I think she'll find some trouble in being able to, to implement that type of game plan. Um, I am slightly concerned, though, because I do think that Belbita and even Granger, to a certain extent, they had a little bit more of a height and reach advantage on Hannah Goldie, and that's how they're able to be effective with their striking. Whereas Jin Fry, I think she's actually going to be an inch shorter. She will have a slight reach advantage, but I'm not sure how much that's going to actually play into her being effective with her striking if that's how she intends on playing this fight. Um, I do think if she drags this fight to the ground, she could have success there. It does give me pause, though, considering how active Hannah Goldie has been in terms of grappling tournaments and matches, exhibition matches, all that type of stuff. She's really trying to round out the rest of her game, and she could potentially catch Jinyu Fry in something. We saw Fry obviously get caught in something with uh, Kay Hansen in her UFC debut, which caused a lot of people to say, oh, you know, she doesn't really deserve to be in the UFC. Luckily, she was able to go out there and get uh, another couple wins. Uh, I, I believe she did lose to Loma Lukwini after that. But to get wins over Ashley Yoder and uh, Gloria DePaula the way she was, she saved her job and she showed that she deserves to be in this, div this division. I do think she'll be able to get Goldie to the ground. I do think she'll be able to land the more significant strikes on the feet, but it's not to the point that I'm willing to pay the minus 180 on her. I am going to pick her to win this fight. I, like I said, I do think she's the overall better fighter, but I'm not going to count out possible improvements that we can be seeing from the Hannah Goldie side. So I'm going to go with 
uh, Jin Yu Fry here. I do think she ends up winning this fight via decision just by landing some takedowns and landing the more effective strikes on the feet. Uh, lastly, last thing I'll say about this, Hannah Goldie can get into the 120s, 130, 140 significant strike uh, zone. That is if her opponent allows her to fight the way that she wants them to fight her, which is a, a prime example of that was her contender series fight against Callie Robbins. I don't think that Jin Yu Fry is going to take that approach. I think Fry is much better than what Robbins brings to the table, and I think she'll be more effective with her striking and obviously grappling as well. Knock on wood that she doesn't get caught in some sort of armbar from guard or anything because she should be able to cruise in this fight no matter where it goes. The only thing that gives me pause is the potential volume that's going to come back from the Hannah Goldie side. But all in all, official prediction, we're going to go with Jin Yu Fry, and I'll take her to win this fight via decision. Terence McKenney versus Ferris Ziem. We got minus 130 on the Frenchman and plus 110 the return on T-Rex Terence McKenney. Now, this is a fight that was scheduled to go down in November. Unfortunately, one of the cornermen for one of the fighters tested positive and they've been forced to push the fight back pretty far. Uh, but thankfully, we're going to be getting it this upcoming weekend. Uh, and I'm excited that it will go down because it is a very fun scrap between two different completely stylistic uh, fighters here and i think it matches up in violence pretty much now uh when this fight was originally uh scheduled the under two and a half was sitting around minus 185 i think that we'll see it roughly around that same mark come this time uh whenever they drop the odds for that as well uh right now they only have the money line odds out there uh, Terrence McKenney blasts his way into the UFC with the seven second KO of Matt Favola and that's pretty much how his, the majority of his fights go uh, out of his 14 career fights um, I believe it's 14 yeah out of his 14 pro MMA fights only two have gone into the second round uh, one or sorry only two have gone past the second round uh one of them was in the third round uh where he was able to get a heel hook in his fourth ever fight again level of competition kind of sketchy uh and then his next uh, the other fight that actually reached the second round was against sean woodson on the contender series where he controlled woodson on the ground for uh, an extended period of time but it seems like he really gassed himself in terms of trying to keep that fight in that position and then ultimately in the second round he gets his head blasted into orbit by a flying knee from sean woodson who ended up signing himself to the ufc after that terence mckinney went on to lose a quick submission loss in his next fight to Derek minner but then his next three fights combined for a minute and 45 seconds which is all he needed to dispatch of all three of those opponents and then obviously he was able to get into the ufc and uh, stamp his arrival with that ko victory over matt favola he used to he used to be a part of that sick jitsu camp uh for guys that have been watching the game for a while now that was a camp that michael chiesa sam cecilia uh rick little and juliana pena were mainly known for but it seems like they've uh disbanded since then and i do believe that uh, terence mckinney is now training out of some random gym over there in spokane washington uh so i'm not sure what the level of his training is going to be looking like over there on the flip side with ferris cm you're getting a very good kickboxer who's really coming into his own right he fell short in his ufc debut um against don madge but since then he's been able to put together two solid decision victories uh most recently over luigi vendramini uh but this fight is plain and simple you want terence mckinney who wants to drag this fight to the ground and will likely gas doing so if he's not able to get the fight done with and then ferris Ziem should start to take over in rounds two and three and i think to the point where he could actually get terence mckinney out of there 
I think this fight is going to be a train wreck for the most part, but I do think that it will cash in under two and a half, which is what I'll likely be playing in this fight. And uh, yeah, I actually lean with the uh, the heavy style of Terrence McKenney, uh in that first round. His striking style is pretty limited to a lot of wide winging hooks uh he has a sneaky head kick that he's been able to knock out a couple opponents with i'd be surprised if he's able to uh, connect that with Phariseum here and get him out of there but when he does drag fights to the ground he has his weird lanky frame allows him to generate some massive power from that position from that top position and that's more than enough usually to get his opponents out of there either he snatches up positions or submissions or he gets into a dominant position and starts raining down big blows either way he does a lot of tremendous damage from on top and I think that's exactly what we're going to see this weekend against Phariseum so even though McKenney is a slight underdog here at plus 110 I would rather take the under two and a half and um, assure myself for violence no matter who it comes from but I do think it's going to be Terrence McKenney and I do think he gets it done in round one a couple other quick props that were available when they were originally scheduled hopefully it's the same lines once these actual props drop but McKinney round one was plus 300 last time around and Ferris ZM round three was plus 1175 I would sprinkle both of those but I do think it's going to be the McKinney one that ends up hitting with him landing the takedown because I do think he's going to be much much stronger than ZM and I do think his wrestling game is much better and then once it gets to the ground I think he absolutely smashes him and gets him out of there within a round so official prediction once again, I'm going to go Terrence McKinney, and I think he gets it done first round TKO. Josian Nunes versus Ramona Pasquel. We got minus 200 on Nunes and plus 170 for the short notice, Ramona Pasquel. Now, Pasquel is coming off a victory in Invicta back in January where she was able to dispatch of her opponent within one minute, and now she's getting this short notice call up to the UFC something that she's been waiting for for a long time she used to be out of asia i believe out of hong kong originally she trained in the philippines she's trained pretty much all over the place but over the last couple of years she's found herself at syndicate mma in las vegas and she's really been honing her craft there especially alongside joanne wood uh obviously formerly joanne caldewood but uh she brings an intriguing style here especially against a girl in josie and nunez who go, looks to go out there and just try to take her opponent's head off. Ramona Pasquale looks to try to get fights to the ground, especially if she feels she's outgunned on the feet. However, there is a little bit of... Uh, a little bit of concern in terms of the level of competition she's been going up against on the regional scene. I'm not 100% sure she's been punched in the face as hard as Josia Nunes will likely punch her in the face, but we do see some decent grappling work from her, and that's more than enough for me to believe that she's some value here at plus 170 against Josia Nunes. Nunes, if you look back at her regional tape, there are fights where she's kind of getting pinned up against the cage or even getting taken down with relative ease, but she just bides her time. She waits for her opportunity. She eventually pulls off a reversal, gets the fight back to the feet, and then eventually starts swinging that leather and eventually finding that knockout. She has seven knockout victories and eight total victories, uh, and that's what she's looking to do pretty much every single time. Last time around against Bea Malecki, the seven-inch height advantage and all that reach advantage had nothing for Josia Nunes that night as she crossed the pocket more often than not and was able to land some big shots on Malecki, and Malecki was not able to keep that distance at all. She found herself all pinned up against the cage at times, and that's where Nunez was able to unload on some shots. And then there was just one moment where Maleki just didn't have her guard up enough, and Nunez was able to land a big bomb to eventually end that fight. 
Same could be happening here against Pasquale, but Pasquale doesn't need to control the range, right? She is going to be the obvious taller party in this fight. This is also taking place at a catch weight of 145 pounds. So there, that size might come into play here for Ramona, who's going to be looking to drag this fight to the ground. But my question, again, is can she do it for 15 minutes if she needs to? Can she find a possible finish on the ground if she needs to? Or will Nunes be able to find reversals, get back to the feet, and eventually let go on her shots? There's one fight on the regional scene for Nunes that gives me just too many question marks, right? I, I just can't confidently back her at minus 200. She needs the fight to be standing and she needs to be able to get her big shots off. And she could find that knockout of her own. But I just feel banking on the plus 170 underdog here to go out there and get those takedowns that seem to be pretty easy to come by. And hopefully they're getting good work over there at Syndicate MMA uh, to be able to drag this fight to the ground. And from that top position, uh, Ramona, you know, she shouldn't have to do too much to one, stay active or two, even be able to keep Nunes on the ground, who at times seems to just accept that position. But it just seems like she knows something. Like she knows she's going to eventually get back to her feet, let her hands go, and then her opponent is going to be taking a canvas snap. And that's a possibility in the spot. But I do think that Ramona will be able to slow this fight down, be able to get it to the ground, and then just control Nunes there. The over one and a half is something that I'm considering, which roughly sits around minus 120. Uh, but I do think that we see Pasquale land those takedowns and uh, grind this out over 15 minutes. I am leaning with Pasquale here. But again, I don't have the nuts to go out there and back her at this spot considering the level of competition she's been going up on the regional scene. Uh, even uh, Nunes has those question marks, right? Very sketchy competition on the regional scene. Now we get to see what these women are made of. And I'm going to lean with the grappler here on the Ramona side. May or may not be a bet. I'm thinking about the decision prop at plus 350, plus 400 for Pasquale. Um, but yeah. In terms of a prediction, I'm going to go with Pasquale, and I'm going to take her to win this fight via decision. Ignacio Bahamundes versus Zhu Rong. Uh, we got minus 220 on Mundes and plus 180 on... Actually, I believe it's Rong Zhu, so I'm going to go with Rong Zhu, as that's where I remember the uh, broadcast saying. Um, interesting fight here, right? Two primary strikers, but Zhu Rong or Rong Zhu has been uh, taking... The grapple-heavy approach, especially in his last fight against Brandon Jenkins. Uh, but both great performances from both guys last time around as they actually both lost their UFC debuts, uh, the fights prior. Uh, we saw Zhu Rong... Jeez, I keep messing it up. Rong Zhu. Uh, we, we saw him go out there and get outpointed by Rodrigo Vargas uh, as a big favorite that night, if I'm not mistaken. And then on the flip side with Bajo Mundes, he got a vet lesson from John McDessie. He was able to close that distance, even while being at such a huge height and reach disadvantage. He was able to crack the chin of Bajo Mundes a couple times. And since then, uh, for the rest of the fight, he was able to establish that dominance and land the better strikes. But Bahamundes, man, we got to give him some respect. Even after getting cracked and uh, hurt as many times as he did early in that fight against McDessie, he still went out there in the second and third rounds and threw or landed and accumulated 75 significant strikes, which shows that this guy did not back down too much, even after he knew that he was starting to get fall behind on the scorecards. In the next fight against Roosevelt Roberts, a fight that I was live to watch, he put on a great performance, putting Roberts on his back foot pretty much from the jump, uh, overwhelming him with volume, and then eventually getting getting that knockout within the last 10 to 15 seconds of that round concluding. So big, big win for Bahamundes that night. And if I'm not mistaken, he was a slight uh, underdog in that spot. Now he's getting the respect he deserves in this fight against Rongju, which I'm interested to see how Rong uh, decides to uh, uh, tries to play it. 
right? If he goes out there and tries to go with a grapple-heavy approach against Pablo Mendez, how well is that going to work out for him? We saw uh, Roosevelt Roberts with a 58% takedown accuracy rate go 0 for 12 against Bajo Mundes that night, and that ultimately dropped down his uh, accuracy rate to about 27 or 29%. Um, Roberts was able to land takedowns against great wrestlers in the past, guys like Vince Bichel, but he was not able to get anywhere near uh, what uh, uh, anywhere near takedowns against Ignacio Bajo Mundes, as Bajo Mundes was more than ready for those attempts to come at him. Uh, Rangshu could be a little bit more. Uh, successful than Roosevelt Roberts was but we just haven't seen that totally tested from the Bajo Mundes side. I think being on the back foot like Roberts was what makes it a little bit more difficult for him to be able to get the takedowns off and more often than not he telegraphs those takedown entries and uh, Ignacio was more than ready to stuff those takedowns and then he got back to work with his volume right combinations leg kicks body kicks all that stuff it was just nasty seeing how active he was and seeing how proficient he was in terms of getting those strikes off i think he could do that here against rong zhu as well i think he could overwhelm him in those spots he could draw out those uh lazy takedown attempts and he can easily stuff those and then get back to work my question mark is if rong zhu actually clips him on the chin here and puts him in a similar position that john mcdessey was able to but then i don't know how the longevity of that can he continue to do that throughout the fight I'm not so certain. I do think that Bahamundes is, uh, you know, favored, uh, rightfully so. Um, I We see a little bit of action coming in on Rangju, so I wouldn't be surprised if we get him closer to that minus 200 range, which is, I think, a great spot for Bahamundes. Even at minus 220, I think it's a damn good spot for him here. Um, I do like Bahamundes in, uh, in this spot. I do think he goes out there and has a classic Ignacio uh, performance, uh, just overwhelming Rangju with the, uh, the strikes, stuffing takedowns, and really just making it difficult for Rang to get any success i think wrong's only chance to win this fight is finding that chin of bahamundas putting him down uh and, and possibly finishing him because i think he will struggle to initiate with that grappling you know he has solid grappling as he showed in the brandon jenkins fight but the jenkins fight was on super short notice and uh i think he felt a little bit threatened by the um wild unorthodox striking style of jenkins which is why he looked to get the fight to the ground if he struggles to do that against uh, bahamundas here it's only going to get harder and harder for him to implement that grappling in this fight and that's why i think that bahamundas will start to get further and further away from him uh and, and really start to pull away with this fight so uh, i like ignacio here um thinking about a bet on him but i do think he wins this fight and i'm going to take him to win this fight via decision gregory rodriguez versus armin petrosian we got minus 155 on rodriguez and plus 135 the return on armin petrosian now this is a great fight between two middleweights that can definitely throw down so i'm very much looking forward to seeing what the fight doesn't go to decision odds are for this fight but i do like what we're seeing from both guys now rodriguez obviously fell short in his contender series fight against jordan williams back in 2020 where he got knocked out in that first round and showed uh you know some durability issues in that that fight since then he was able to go out there uh, and defeat two guys in lfa the latter of which was, was josh fremd who i believe has secured his own contract on looking for a fight uh, but that was actually for the lfa middleweight championship and he was able to secure that victory via knockout in that fight and even the fight before that against al matavo former contender series veteran as well uh, he was able to get the knockout in that fight too that punched his ticket to get back into the UFC or get to the UFC and he was able to win his UFC debut against Dusko Todorovic uh, over 15 minutes great pressure great volume great output and uh, he was able to fight uh, the fight that he needed to right Dusko's kind of 
uh, Kryptonite has been accepting the back foot almost at any time, allowing the the opponent to look like they're winning the fight, even if Dushko might be outlanding them. But in this circumstance, Gregory Rodriguez was doing a great job in terms of asserting his dominance in that fight and obviously taking home the judges' scorecards that night. Then we saw him go out there and beat Jun Young Park back in October of 2021, where he was able to get that standing TKO in the second round. But that did not come out with some uh, with some. Uh, big question marks right we saw Jun Young Park really push him especially in the grappling realm where Rodriguez was not able to establish any sort of crazy dominant position but was very much looking and working to try to get that fight into the jiu-jitsu world where he could start to you know put his work to use there was not able to do so then in the second round we see them start to throw leather at each other and it looked like Rodriguez was on the brink of actually getting finished there, but Park was just a little bit over anxious in those exchanges. Eventually, gets ki- clipped himself, and we see Rodriguez come out with his hand raised that night. But he was on the brink of defeat there. Not to mention he had a, a four or five inch height advantage over Junyun Park, so Park was really forced to trade in the pocket with him there compared to with Armin. If Armin was in that situation, I think Armin would have been able to get his shots off and not sustain too much on the return especially considering how gassed out Rodriguez looked in that situation and I think Petrosian would have likely came out with his hand raised in that spot but Petrosian has had a pretty decent uh, regional run as well right he's not getting fed tomato cans on the regional scene he's fighting legitimate guys I believe his third ever fight was against a guy that was already 8-0 with a grapple heavy approach and he took everything that guy threw at him uh, and he was able to defend properly stayed away from any dominant positions from his opponents and then once that fight got back to its standing realm uh, and it looked like his opponent was starting to tire out he started to put his punches together and eventually got that knockout blow which is something that i expect to happen in this fight as well i'd be mind blown if gregory rodriguez goes out there and willingly tries to throw with armand uh, petrosian like he's been doing against dushko todorovic and like he obviously did against junior park sure he's been improving in his striking but he needs to get this fight to the ground for him to have success otherwise Petrosian is going to light him up like a Christmas tree and I think he'll eventually put him out I got shades of the Jared Cannonier and Derek Brunson uh vibe for this fight and, and you know that's not an insult to Gregory Rodriguez as all at all because I do think his striking is better than what Derek Brunson brought to the table that night uh but I think if he can't uh, establish that dominance on the ground he's going to struggle on the feet and then eventually he's going to get knocked out and I do think he's going to struggle to get this fight to the ground and in doing so he will more than likely start to gas himself out and then from there Armand has shown great durability great cardio and I think that's going to pay off for him here to eventually find that chin of Rodriguez now it's tough to call a guy who's only been knocked out twice in his MMA career that he's chinny but given how much he starts to slow down and given how hittable he seems to be after after he starts to slow down I think it's just a recipe for disaster and it's just mere moments or mere minutes until we see a guy like Petrosian find that knockout blow I love how active he is with his striking he throws in combinations he never takes a crazy back foot or anything like that I apologize for Alfred losing in the background right now, but I'm not going to edit this out. We're going to keep this thing going. Uh, Like I said, I love Petrosia's striking game, and I do think that he's going to be able to go out there, put those punches together, defend the takedowns, make Rodriguez very much work for those positions, and then eventually find that knockout blow probably in the second or third round. I like Petrosian at these underdog odds, and I do think he gets the knockout. I think he even deserves to be the slight favorite here considering all the grappling defensive work that we've seen from him in the past against the legitimate competition so i'm going 
Armin Petrosian, and I think he wins this fight by second or third round knockout. Armand Sarukian versus Joel Alvarez. We got minus 225 on Sarukian and plus 185 the return on Joel Alvarez. Now, this line has been moving hot and heavy over the last couple of days. We saw Sarukian open up as a minus 360 favorite. Money has since come in on Joel Alvarez. And there was a huge dip over the last couple of days where he went from plus 220-ish all the way down to that plus 190 range uh, almost immediately. It seems like somebody dropped a hammer almost immediately. Now, uh, Sarukin is one of the better prospects in this division, right? I believe his only loss at, to this point has come against Islam Mahachev, which was a short notice UFC debut spot for him. And, but since then, he's looked pretty amazing. He's done great work with his grappling, with his striking. feel like his striking needs just a tad more improvements, but it's definitely great considering the level of his grappling and you know trying to close that gap between those two skill sets joel alvarez on the other hand uh he lost his ufc debut against amir ismagulov but since then has been on a pretty good streak especially of finishing his opponents more often than not he looks to wrap up the guillotine one in his opponents try to take him to the ground or he does some good work in terms of trying to find reversals or submissions from on bottom uh but the one thing that we saw in his last fight against thiago moises was just absolute confidence and conviction in his strikes and that that's exactly what eventually broke uh, Tiago Moises, allowing Alvarez to open up and really start to butcher him with his elbows and his strikes on the feet. Now, I was pretty big against uh, Joel Alvarez uh, in that Tiago Moises fight, and even, even the Joe Duffy fight, especially after watching the Danilo Belwardo fight and seeing you know how almost easy it is to kind of take him down and just let him play his guard. But if you're able to stay out of those positions, more than likely you'll be able to stay safe. My, my question marks here about Armand Sarukian is he's, he's a great grappler, but at certain times he struggles to hold opponents down. And, uh, you know, there's a reason he landed 10 takedowns against Matt Favola that night because Favola did a damn good job of working back to his feet. My question marks here is, has Joel Alvarez still stayed as that guy that is content with just throwing up submissions off of his back because if that's the case he might get stuck on his back for the majority of this fight and he'll likely get out uh, out grinded that way but if he's actively working to get back to his feet i think he is big enough to create those scrambles and good enough to get back to his feet and then in the striking realm you know if he shows almost no regard for Armand Sarukian striking similar to what he did against Thiago Moises he could start to open up with those big strikes and really start to affect the game plan of Sarukian maybe even pulling out a desperation takedown from him which could have potentially put him into a dangerous guillotine as well I've faded and and rode off Joel Alvarez a ton of times but I feel like I need to give start giving the guy some respect and I'm not sure if I'm overreacting here um which I could be I could absolutely be overreacting reacting in this spot but I I feel the odds shouldn't be as wide as the minus 360 right that was just a little bit too crazy the line is starting to close in a bit and I still feel it's a little bit too wide um, this could also be a great uh, live betting opportunity as well. If Joao Lavrez is not able to get anything done in the first round, then maybe it would be harder and harder for him to do so in the second or third rounds against a guy like Armand Sarukian. I have this, you know, as a slight favorite spot for Armand Sarukian, but I'm actually going to go out on a limb here and take uh, Joel Alvarez to get the dub in this spot. I do think he eventually finds that opening to finish a guy like Armand. Armand has been finished in the past, so it's not like something that's impossible. But on the flip side, Joel Alvarez has been finished in the past as well. So that is something that Sarukian could potentially open himself up to. But 
as of lately, you know, Sorokin's one of those guys to just go out there and continuously grind on you. And if he tries to do that here against Alvarez, there's a couple question marks in terms of Alvarez's, uh, you know, willingness to play off of his back, uh, his weight cut, and how that could potentially affect him cardio-wise going into this fight. I wouldn't even be surprised if... Armand Sarukin decides to not take this fight if Joao Alvarez misses weight. Because one thing I do remember is that uh, the the manager of Armand Sarukin, I believe uh, Ruby, uh, uh, Daniel Rubinstein, uh, he made a little bit of a, um, a note once Joel Alvarez entered the top 15. I believe it was ahead of one of his guys as well. And he goes, how can a guy that hasn't made weight in his last two fights be ranked in a division, especially over some of my guys that are, you know, should be more or higher ranked than him. So I, w- I know that they're keeping an eye on the Joel Alvarez weight cut. And if Alvarez once again comes in overweight, I could see this fight potentially even getting scrapped as well. But besides that, let's pretend as if the fight is going to go on as scheduled. Um, Again, the the longer this fight goes, the better it is for Sarugin. But I'm going to give Alvarez some some respect here. I'm going to take him to win this fight probably by first or second round TKO. Um, but if Armand is able to pass this test, uh, I, I do think he is definitely destined for you know the the top five or something like that. Again, it's top five, top ten because I do think that this is a dangerous opponent. And Alvarez is just one of those wild cards too, right? It's who knows if he'll be able to crack into that top ten, top uh, top five himself. But if he continues this this absolute domination streak that he's on, and his confidence continues to grow at the rate that it's growing at. Who knows what this kid's ceiling could be? So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be that guy that that gets a little bit too swayed by this guy's shiny uh, winning streak that he's on, especially with all the finishes that he's been having as well. I know Sarukin is another level. I know Sarukin is one of the best in the game, um, and I'm kind of hating myself for even taking this stance on the Joel Alvarez side of things, but. It's how I feel after I ran the tape, after I do everything. I just feel as though on the feet, if Joel Alvarez can get it there uh, and keep it there, he should have some success and potentially break in Sarukian and drawing out some sort of desperation takedown that might uh, that he might overextend on a little bit. Let, let me get this clear, though. I really do think that Alvarez deserves to be at 170 pounds compared to 155 because that weight cut is only going to get harder on him, and I think it's going to be more difficult for him to keep doing it over and over again. He's going to miss weight again. Maybe this time, maybe next time, but uh, I think that size is going to have uh, a little bit of a factor in this fight. And uh, as long as he doesn't accept playing guard off of his back, which is what we've seen from him, um, he needs to know that if he works his way back to his feet in this fight, he will have more success than playing guard. Uh, and I'm interested to see if he actually realizes that, recognizes that, and tries to employ that in this fight. I'm going to say that he does. Um Again, I, I believe Sarukin deserves to be the favorite, but I'm going to go with Alvarez here, and I'm, I'm going to take him to win by, let's go, second round TKO. Ji-Yoon Kim versus Priscilla Cashuera. We got minus 165 on Kim and plus 145 the return on Cashuera. Now, this is an intriguing fight because it's mainly going to be a striking battle. I'd be surprised if either woman goes out there and employs a grapple-heavy approach. If there is, it'll likely come from the Kim side as it looks like she's really trying to uh, refine her game and round out her game, especially since aligning with those guys at Syndicate MMA. Uh, in this fight, I expect it to look similar to the 
the Molly McCann fight for Kim, which is more than likely Kim will be on the back foot and she'll be trying to use her finesse and her crisper striking to get the edge over Cachoeira, who is kind of flat-footed, moves forward, throws big shots, and doesn't really put combinations together in terms of a jab. She just wants to throw power shots and try to knock you out. Kim is a little bit more refined in that aspect where she throws jabs and she throws one-twos and she pivots off the cage well at times. But I think people that are looking at this fight and thinking that if McCann can have striking success against Kim, Priscilla will more than likely have the same type of success. But the difference here is that Molly McCann is much faster than Priscilla Cachoeira. She's a lot more agile and a lot more mobile. And that's not something that we can say about Cachoeira, who's a little bit more flat-footed, especially when she moves forward and throws those big strikes. But this is a fight where Kim needs to fight a perfect fight. If she can stay on her bicycle and land her one-twos down the middle and then get out of the way before Cashwar lands any of her shots, this is her fight. But I'm not sure if I can 100% trust her to do that, especially in a small cage where it's not going to take much for Cashwar to move forward and put her up against the cage or even potentially land some shots. Like, I mean, she needs to fight a perfect game. She needs to fight a perfect game to the extent of she can't get touched too much here by Cachoeira. Because one, she's already going to be at a deficit with the, the forward movement of Cachoeira. That's already going to look good to the judges. Now, if Cachoeira is just landing enough every single time that she crashes the pocket and lets her strikes go, that's going to favor her in the judges' scorecards. But I am willing... Well. At minus 165, I'm not willing to trust Kim to go out there and pick her spots and, you know, let go of her strikes when she needs to and get out of the way of the counters when she needs to as well. She needs to fight as perfect of a fight as she can here to be able to get her hand raised. I do still lean on the Kim side. I do lean the girl with the technique uh, and the more precise, precise striking, but it's just, it's a big what if, especially with how this fight will more than likely look with how I see it going down in my head. Like I said, Kim is going to be on her back foot. Cashware is going to be crashing forward. But I think her flat-footed style uh, and, and her lack of speed will be the detriment to Priscilla Cashware in, in this spot. I'd be surprised if Kim, you know, lands a clean enough shot to put Cashware on her butt or put her out. We know that's, you know, the, the zombie girl nickname is very uh, fitting for a girl like Priscilla Cashware who can just take immense amount of damage and still keep moving forward. As this fight starts to wear on and if Cashwara hasn't landed any big shots, I think it's going to get harder and harder for her to do so. She has been known to slow down later in fights and I think that Kim has a great gas tank that she can go out there and stay on her back foot if she needs to for a full 15 minutes and be just as effective as she was in round one as she will be in round three. But again, minus 165 is a little bit too wide for me, especially in a fight where the margin for error is going to be very thin for Ji Yoon Kim in this spot. So I do lean Kim still. I will still make her my prediction. Uh, but if the line continues to close as the way it is, if I can get Kim closer to minus 120 or minus 125, which is a bit of a stretch, I'd be surprised if the line closes that much. That's the only time I'd really think about taking a shot on her. But I do think she'll land the more, she'll land the better strikes. She'll get out of the way of the big shots of Cachoeira, and she should be able to cruise along to a, a decision victory here. So once again, final prediction for this fight: I'm going to go Ji Yoon Kim via decision. Misha Serkinov versus Wellington Terman. We got minus 125 on Serkinov and plus 105 the return on Wellington Terman. Uh, this is an interesting fight, right? This is the second time uh, we're going to be seeing Serkinov down at 185 pounds. Seemed to make the weight without much issue last time around, but we obviously saw like a, a much more deprived version of him. However, 
I gotta say, I was impressed with his durability and his cardio in that fight, as he was still really trying to put it on uh, Christoph Jotko late in that fight, but just was unsuccessful in doing so. Christoph Jotko was already far enough ahead in that fight that he was able to cruise in that third round, but I did like what we, what we saw from Serkinov in terms of going out there and trying to get a finish, trying to get a dub, and, and just trying to be active, right? He wasn't showing that the cardio or the weight cut or anything was really affecting him, and that, that I think that's a great uh, sign. Not to mention this is going to be his second fight at 185 pounds now i'm interested to see if we're going to see any more improvements from him now that he might be a little bit more comfortable with the weight cut and actually being inside the cage wellington Terman, on the other hand is coming off uh actual he, he was supposed to fight Rodolfo vieira earlier uh this year but uh that did not transpire i believe it was due to covid I think one of them had to pull out on fight day. So very unfortunate, but luckily we get to see him in the cage here against Serkinov. A very tough fight, right? Um, we, you got the durability issues of Serkinov. Um, we got the fight IQ issues on the Wellington tournament side. But ultimately, I think this is going to be a fight that plays out in the grappling situation. And I think one of these guys is going to be able to find a finish at a certain point. I do lean on the Serkinov side, side of things as I think he'll be the stronger in those positions. And I do think he's a lot craftier with his jiu-jitsu, especially from the top position. And then from there, I think he should be able to do pro, uh, so, solid work. Uh, before Serkinov's fight against Christoph Jotko, uh, it had been nearly five years since he had seen a second round. Uh, uh, most of those fights, I believe he went two and four during that run where he was either getting finished or finding the finish over his opponents. And I think we see him go back to those ways here against Wellington Tournament. This fight might creep into the second round as well. Don't get me wrong, but I do think at a certain point we'll get a finish from either guy here. The fight doesn't go to decisions, currently sits around minus 190, which I think is a great spot. And I think I'll be taking advantage of that. But I do like uh, the, the Sirkinov side here as I do think he'll be a little bit more... Um, a little better on top and a little bit more crafty on top and i think he'll be the one actually landing the takedowns and asserting that top position um both guys will have their moments but i do think it's going to be circling off more often than not and from there i think he'll be able to find a finish whether it's with the choke whether it's ground and pound i think he gets wellington tournament out of there my favorite play on the fight is going to be the fight doesn't go to decision uh but i do lean with Serkinov, and i do agree that he should be the slight favorite in this spot which is why i'll take him to win and i'm going to take him to win this fight via you know what, let's call it first round we'll call it first round uh submission for misha Serkinov. Time for the main event. We got Islam Mahachev taking on short notice Bobby Green. In terms of odds, we got heavy chalk on Islam Mahachev at minus 800, plus 550 the return on King Bobby Green. Now, Bobby Green is coming off a victory over Nazrat Hackpress last time around, where he was able to get his hand raised after absolutely boxing Nazrat to shit uh, back at UFC 271 a couple weeks ago. And now here he is taking the short notice call to take on Islam Mahachev. Uh, Bobby Green took little to no damage in that fight against Nazrat, and that's why he was able to get into the cage again this quickly and really try to have his Jorge Masvidal moment and what I mean by that is we know Masvidal journeyman for a long time eventually lands that flying knee against Ben Askren and then just skyrockets into stardom 
I'm not saying Bobby Green's going to go out there and land a the flying knee by any means, but if he goes out there and upsets a guy like Islam Mahachev, yeah, his career te- definitely takes a, a turn for the better. And I think from there, he starts to skyrocket into stardom himself, especially with the demeanor he carries himself in. You know, his his personality is great. A lot of hardcore MMA fans really fuck with him considering he's been around the game for a long time. He's always been an entertaining fighter, which is weird to say considering this guy goes to decision in almost every single one of his fights. But he... He just doesn't throw with the Morse pop, right? Obviously, he knocked out Al Iaquinta, who was already halfway out the game uh, two fights ago. But more often than not, he trades in the pocket. He lands a strike, strikes, but not enough to the point where he actually gets his opponents out of there. And that's the concern. He's going to need those heavy strikes against a guy like Mahachev to find any success in this fight. Because if he just wants to go out there and try to trade inside the pocket, it's just a matter of time before Islam Mahachev double legs his ass to the ground and then just controls him from on top. I'm seeing the angles that people think that the longer that this fight goes, Bobby Green will more than likely start to pull away. But Islam Mahachev has shown solid cardio in it, well, at least in his last fight, which was his main event slot against Tiago Moises. Or, sorry, two fights ago where he went up against Tiago Moises dragged him to the ground and got him out there relatively uh well actually in the fourth round i believe he was able to get the finish that night then i believe he followed that up with that victory over dan Oker, where he was able to kimura him quickly in that first round i i don't think that he'll be able to get out bobby green that quickly and it looks like that the widely available total uh is uh either one and a half or two and a half minus 160 is the over one and a half right now minus 130 is the over two and a half I bet the over there. I think Bobby will put up a bit of a fight. I think it will be more difficult to put away Bobby than it was to put away a guy like Dan Hooker. Uh, and I think he'll have a little bit of a fight on his hands early in this fight. But the longer that this fight goes, I do think that Mahachev will have success dragging this fight to the ground and really just working over Bobby Green. I don't think he truly finishes him. I think that he will struggle to finish him here as Bobby is pretty good with his defensive grappling uh, and even just defensively speaking on the feet. But I just think the lack of power that he carries will make it very difficult for him to have success against a guy like Mahachev who will more than likely over and over be able to drag this fight to the ground and keep it in his range. So I understand the shots that people are trying to take on Bobby Green at plus 550. I completely understand it. Obviously, there's that Russian tax love on Islam Mahachev, but considering how dominant he's been in most of his fights, can you blame the odds makers for making him that wide of a favorite or even the public for steaming him that much? I'm not going to be the guy taking the shot on Bobby Green here, but I completely understand people that are going to because Bobby Green is much better than a plus 550 indicates, but this fight is still going to turn out one way, and that's going to be with Islam Mahachev getting his hand raised. How it happens, I'm not confident on the decision or the inside the distance, so I'm not even going to touch this fight at all. If anything, I might just take the over one and a half, call it a day. But... At the end of the day, I still end up on the Islam Mahachev side here. He gets the hand raised. I hopefully, well, it looks like Darius is going to be out for a while. I believe he broke his fibula bone, uh, which is a smaller bone in his, in his leg. So it, uh, I wouldn't even be surprised if they give Mahachev the winner of Fiziev and RDA, which goes down uh, at UFC 272. And that will more than likely produce um, um, a, a number one contender unless they give Mahachev the shot after uh, Charles Oliveira and Justin Gaethje throw down in May. So uh, official prediction, nothing new here. I'm going to go Islam Mahachev 
And uh, in terms of a method of victory, since you guys are putting a gun to my head, a hypothetical gun to my head, I'm going to go with Islam Ahachev via decision in this spot. So yeah, I'll be targeting the over one and a half if that is indeed the widely available total. So uh, Islam Ahachev via decision. And that's a wrap on the breakdowns. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Hit that like and subscribe if you haven't already. Check out the Patreon, five bucks a month. The link is in the description below. Check out CoolBet. CoolBet.com, use promo code MMALOTN2. That's the number two, and they'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks. And that's pretty much a wrap. Shout out to all the, all the love, all the subscribers, all the supporters. We just hit 50... 300 subscribers i believe on uh on youtube we hit a thousand followers on instagram something i'm really trying to work on this year so make sure you guys follow me on instagram as well and we just hit 9,000 followers on twitter as well so a ton of milestones all culminating at the same time make sure you guys go check that out love you guys good luck on your bets and i'll see you guys throughout the week as alfred is starting to bark let me just wrap this thing up. I'll see you guys throughout the week for a ton of great content still coming your way, propping you up, ultimate way and show, and then obviously the fight day live chat. See you guys then. Good luck on your bets.